0: Picking up in chapter one, beginning the book of Deuteronomy. Doing a quick look here, yeah, 34 chapters. Now the first three chapters, I don't know if we'll be able to accomplish it, but it's Besides the introduction, it uh, really gets into a rehearsing of their 40 years in the wilderness. And so I'll be reading large chunks of the passage, and that will uh, help us to move along a little bit. And also, it is a rehearsing of things that we have studied in Exodus, and especially Exodus and Numbers. And so the book of Deuteronomy, let's go ahead and open in prayer and then get into the teaching of God's Word. So we thank you tonight, Lord, for your Word that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for the ability you have given us in this fellowship to have presence via the Internet, through social media, through radio, and through our congregation here. I pray, Father, whatever our method of receiving this teaching tonight that you would speak to our hearts would help us to hear what the spirit is saying to the churches especially to us tonight Lord this church we pray in the name of Jesus amen so as I said chapters 1 through 3 in the book of Deuteronomy they are really a clear example of Moses rehearsing the past 40 years of the children of Israel and he He's relating the history of the parents to the generation that's about to enter into the promised land. And uh, as we get into chapter 3, I believe, I was really thinking about that. Because of the parents' failure to enter into the promised land, they never really set the example that they could have set for their children And actually it brought them in the land and been that first generation to kind of get things going. And as we'll see tonight, they chickened out. They decided that it's too dangerous. Our children will be killed or taken into slavery and we won't go. But really, Moses is rehearsing these things for the second generation because he didn't want the current generation to make the same mistakes or sins that their parents' generation had made. So we pick up, and they're crying out, and I titled this Our Little Ones, because this is what they said in verse 39, a key verse. It kind of moved their whole generation to not go into the Promised Land They said, moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims who today have no knowledge of good and evil. They shall go in there and them I will give it and they shall possess it. So they cried out, we can't go. It's because of our children. It's too dangerous for the children. And Moses came back and said, well, your children are the one who's going to go into the land and possess it. But you will not be going. So the title Deuteronomy, it means second law. It came from the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. The Septuagint was translated before the time of Christ. And it means second law, but it's not really a second law. It's really a rehearsing of the laws that were given by God with maybe a few expansions. The Hebrew title picks up the first two words in Hebrews, in the Hebrew language, in verse 1, comprise of what's translated for us. And this is their title. These are the words. So two Hebrew words that are translated for us. These are the words. These are the words, verse 1, which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain opposite of Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dizahab. It was 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass, in the 40th year, in the 11th month, On the first day of the month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. So the Hebrew title is associated with the words, these are the words. These are the words which Moses spoke to the second generation as he prepared them to enter into the promised land. we, closing out Numbers, we get into Deuteronomy, we understand that Moses has about one month to go, and he's going to go and be with the Lord. His time is up. And so he's going to get this information to the children, the second generation. The parents are gone. They had died off in the wilderness. And now he's bringing them, a rehearsing of their history, especially the first three chapters that I'm going to attempt to look at tonight. So they've been camped. We closed out Numbers before uh, we started celebrating Easter. We closed out Numbers. And they've been camped across on the east side of the Jordan River, across from Jericho for quite a while now. And they are still in that same place. This is the staging place where they would enter into the promised land from. And verse 2 tells us that Moses reminded Israel that it was only an 11-day journey from Horeb, the mountain of God, so also called Sinai in Scripture. And so Horeb and Sinai associated with Moses going up on the mountain of God, receiving from the Lord the commandments, the Ten Commandments especially, And all the laws and the design for the tabernacle. There was the building of the tabernacle. They completed all those things just barely over a year after being in the wilderness. And so there was, for a period of time, an appropriate time for the children of Israel to be in the wilderness. God established them with laws, uh, had them erect a tabernacle by his design. He taught them how he was to be worshipped, how he was to be the center of their camp or center of their lives, how they were to follow him as he would lead them through the wilderness. But here in verse 2, Moses seems to be saying that it was only an 11-day journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. And in Kadesh Barnea, that's where they were supposed to that first generation, enter into the promised land. They spent their time in the wilderness. In 11 days, they were there at Kadesh Barnea, and God said, go up and take the land. The people said, no, let's send in spies first. And they did not go in. And now, verse 3, it's the 40th year in the 11th month. And so... We can somewhat picture the first year they were supposed to be in the wilderness. And then because they disobeyed, didn't enter into the promised land, they spent 40 years there in the wilderness in addition to that first year. So here we are, the 40th year and the 11th month. And so we're one month before Moses goes to be with the Lord approximately, and so in the 41st year, they would enter into the Promised Land, the second generation. So just we're accustomed to saying they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Yes, that was 40 years of punishment plus the time that they were supposed to be there. And so it seems that there was an additional year, and maybe a little more than that, so 40-plus years, That they were supposed to be for a period of time there in the promise, in the wilderness before entering the promised land. So they had a short little trip, 40, uh, 11 days journey to Kadesh Barnea, but they refused to enter in. So 4 through 80, rehearsing again. After he had killed Sion, king of the Amorites, who had dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who had dwelt at. Ashtaroth in Edar, at the side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Turn and take your journey, and go to the mountains of the Amorites, and to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountain, and in the lowland, in the south, and on the seacoast, and on the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon as far as the great river euphrates that would take us all the way over to iraq see i have set the land before you go in, possess the land which the lord sworn to your fathers to abraham isaac and jacob to give to them and their descendants after them so they've been given the law they're there at the mountain of god Mount horeb mount sinai called by both names in these passages and there's a point after they had Erected the tabernacle, they had anointed the priest, they were offering sacrifice. God said, you've been here long enough, now enter the land, go in and possess the land. But they did not go. So in verse 5, it tells us, Moses began to explain this law. So in the Hebrew, Hebrew the word translated as explained. It's only found two other times in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 27, 8, and you shall write very plainly, that's the same Hebrew word, bar, on the stone all the words of this law, Hebrews 27, 8, and Habakkuk 2.2, and the Lord answered and said to me, Write the vision and make it plain. The same word on tablets that he may run who reads it. And so write it very plainly. Make it plain. Explain. Make it clear. Moses, in verse 5, began to make it clear the law of God, saying the Lord your God spoke to us. And so from Deuteronomy 1, 6 through 3:28, and there's only 29 verses in chapter 3, Moses gives a second generation of Israel a review of the past 40 years there in the wilderness. They lived it, but they were all 20 years and younger when they began those 40-year journeys. For most of them, they were small kids some of them born during the 40 years. So it was important for Moses to do a review like this. And some had lived during the whole time. So he begins with Yahweh's command to leave Horeb or Sinai in order that the first generation might take possession of the promised land. So in the possession of the promised land originally, and Israel never lived up to this, to go all the way up into Lebanon, um, touching on, we looked at this the last time we were in Numbers. Uh, they were touching in the, not only in Lebanon, a little bit of Syria, a little bit of Jordan, but taking it all the way to the Euphrates River. That takes us um, over to Iraq today, down to just the very tip of Egypt. They were given a large land. In fact, the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis 13, 14, and 15, lift up your eyes and look from every place you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And so they were promised this land that had been passed on from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Now it was theirs to take. All they needed to do was trust and obey obey the command of Yahweh and enter into the land 9 through 18 I spoke to you at that time and I said I alone am not able to bear you and the Lord your God has multiplied you and here you are today as the stars of heaven and multitude may the Lord your God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as you As he has promised, how can I bear your problems, your burdens, your complaints, choose wise and understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you? And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes the wise and knowledgeable men, and I made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifty, leaders of ten, officers for the tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brother and judge righteously, between man and his brother or the stranger who is with him. And you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great, you shall not be afraid any, in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. In the case that is too hard for you, bring it to me, I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. So, first, God had promised Abraham his promise of filling the land with his descendants. It was being fulfilled. Moses even admitted, saying that you guys have multiplied and here you are as the stars of heaven in multitude they would even grow beyond this but remember god promised this to one man and his wife who had no children and yet god said to abraham in genesis 15:5 look toward the heaven count the stars if you are able to number them so will your descendants be. And the Bible tells us Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He stood right then on the promise of God even though he would only live to see his son um, Isaac. He had another son Esau, but that was a work of the flesh. His son Isaac and um, I believe he was Still around when Jacob and Esau was born. This was also passed on to him again in Genesis 22:17 and 18. God renewed that promise, saying, "Blessings, I will bless you, multiplying. I will multiply your descendants as the star, stars of the heaven." As the sand on which is on the seashore, so your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I believe that verse 18 of Genesis 22 is speaking about Jesus in your seed. It's a messianic blessing. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because one man was willing to obey the voice of God so Israel would increase and they already had increased so much so that Moses said I can't handle you guys on my own so they gave them judges judges over 10,000 over a thousand over 50 over 10 made them leaders and judges to share the burden of ministry and Those who were under Moses would judge the smaller cases. If they had something difficult, then it would be brought up to Moses. And this came about because Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, saw that Moses was wearing himself out trying to judge all the people. And basically Jethro told Moses, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to burn the people out if you try to keep this up. So he's the one that gave counsel for Moses to select the rulers of thousands, of hundreds, of 50, of 10, to share the judgment, the burden with Moses. And yet Jethro also said, if the Lord wills it. And so apparently God did because this is what they did. So they set up the Judges, a little rehearsing of history, 19 through 28. We departed from Horeb, went through all the great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites. As the Lord our God commanded us, then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorite, which the Lord our God has giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord your God, the Father, God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear, do not be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let's send men in before us. Let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us the way by which we might go up and of the cities unto which we shall come. And Moses admits in verse 23, the plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and they came to the valley of Eshcol and they spied it out and they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. They brought back word to us saying, it is good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but... Rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us to the hands of the Amorites and to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there, the sons of the giants. And so there were large cities, cities that the walls went up to the heavens. Of course, they didn't literally go up to the heavens, and there were giants there. It was a gigantic task that the Lord had set before them, but the Lord promised that he would be with them. In fact, he had been with them, with them, every step of the way up to that point, and they still refused to enter into the land. They had an opportunity right there at Kadesh Barnea to allow that place to be a place of victory for themselves and for their families, but they allowed that place to become a place of defeat and failure. So it appears that The sending of the twelve spies was God's permissible will. He knew what the people would do. Of the twelve spies, ten would come back and say that there's no way that we can take the land. Only Joshua and Caleb would try to encourage the people to enter the land, to obey the Lord. In fact, Caleb would say, they are our bread. We can take them. We'll eat them for lunch. But for that... The people almost stoned Joshua and Caleb. And yet they would remain. So here Moses is talking to the second generation and only himself, Joshua, and Caleb remain from that first generation. So I always think it's kind of incredible you have Moses, who is 120. Joshua and Caleb, right now, about 80 years old. And then the oldest beneath them would have been maxing out at 60 and below. And so you had a bunch of people from 0 to 60 that comprised of most the nation. And then 20 years above them, Joshua and Caleb. And then beyond that, 40 years older than Joshua and Caleb, you had Moses. Yet they rebelled, and they would not enter the land. In Hebrews three seventeen, Now with whom God was angry for 40 years, was it not those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? Verse 18, Whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey, and so we see that they could not enter because of their unbelief. I just read from Hebrews 3, verses 17 through 19. Because they did not believe, they could not enter, even though they tried. 29 through 33. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. And the Lord your God He is he who goes before you. He will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. So from Egypt until Kadesh Barnea, God had carried them, provided for them. And then before leaving Egypt, how God had worked through the ten plagues and delivered them from the land of Egypt, verse 32 and 33. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out the place for you, to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go, in the fire by night and the cloud by day. So as I was reading about sending the twelve spies in, They had God for the last year plus leading them through the wilderness every step of the way. They didn't need to send in the 12 spies to show them the way. God was going to show them the way. But they compromised in this one area and it cost a whole generation their opportunity to enter in to the promised land. Romans 8.31 reminds us, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? And Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the Lord. Joshua and Caleb tried to persuade the people to enter into the land, almost got stoned to death. And then the people, when the Lord, verses 34 through 46, heard the sound of your words, he was angry, took an oath saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb and Joshua and his children. I'm given the land on which he walked. Because he wholly followed the Lord, verse 36, talking about Caleb. And Caleb would bring this up to Joshua, remind Joshua that the Lord said this, he's going to give me the land where my feet walked. And so now, later on, in the book of Joshua, Caleb would say, I'm 85 years old. I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40 years old. I'm ready to take the land that the Lord has promised me. Now that's faith. Verse 37, the Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. Now, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land, not because of the people sinning at Kadesh Barnea, but because he struck the rock when God had told him to speak to the rock. But the whole rock episode came out of a situation where the children of Israel cried out for water. And so, in a sense, because of you, I can't even enter in. Verse 38, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, your children, who you say will be victims who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then you answered, verse 41, and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded on his weapon of war, weapons of war, You were ready to go up into the mountain. The Lord said, Tell them, do not go up nor fight. I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, verse 43, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of God and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in the mountain came out against you, chased you as bees do, drove you back from Seir to Hormah, In verses 45 and 46, then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, according to the days that you spent there. So after hearing God's judgment, it was good for them to mourn. They said, We have sinned. That was even good. They confessed their sin, but then they said, hey, we'll go up, we'll do what God said. And Moses said, too late, you can't go because now God's not going to go with you. So just take your spear and put it back in your tent, take off your swords and just relax because you're going to die here in the wilderness. But they went up anyways, and many of them were defeated. It could have been a place of victory, but it became a place of defeat. So Deuteronomy 139, a key verse for us here in this chapter, for moreover, your little ones, your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, shall go up in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. Now, we don't know. You hear people talk about the age of accountability. We're not quite sure what that age might be. I think personally it could vary for, from person to person because people tend to mature differently and at different speeds and times in their lives but here we have a good example of everyone who is 20 and below they were allowed to remain alive to enter into the promised land when anyone above the age of 20 would fall victim to death in the wilderness now in Jewish tradition boys are bar mitzvahed at 13 year old girls between the ages of 12 or 13 and once that has taken place it means that they are obligated to fulfill God's law. It means that they are accountable for their own sins. for the Jews today, traditionally, that place of year of uh, accountability is a boy at 13, a girl between 12 and 13 years old. To be honest with you, the Bible isn't clear of what age is exactly that year of accountability. Here we see an example of 20 years old and below were described as uh, not knowing good from evil. They had not yet learned those things. And I would say that's even just or fair. We have in our family, we have, uh, well, for another week, Four of our five grandchildren are all teenagers. One will be turning 20 very soon. Uh, So four of them are teenagers and they're learning. They're learning between good and evil right now. They've been taught it, but to be taught it is one thing. To apply it is a total another adventure that you have to take on your own. Here we find that the parents' unwillingness to follow the command of the Lord and their children whom they were trying to protect actually would be the ones to go in and possess the land. Wouldn't it have been better if the parents would have rather led their children, helped position their homesteads in the land itself, and then left their children an inheritance instead of their parents merely dying in the wilderness. One of my greatest goals in life is not only to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but to do all that's in my power to see that my family also believes, and I help to get them established in God's word and faith uh, before passing the torch to the next generation. As Joshua would say at the end of his life, and he was 110 years old, by the way, when he said this. Joshua 24:15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to be able to say that. I don't think I'm finished yet. Only God knows that. But I still live by that standard. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So chapter 2, I picked verse 7 as a key verse. For the Lord your God has blessed you with all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. I think that might be a great reminder. I heard a podcast this morning talking about the economy, and I wrote last, seemed like a long time ago, but it was just in... Uh, 20 early 2022 i wrote about something that lily and i lived through as young married couple uh the crash of the 1980s and recessions and and i in this paper that i wrote i wrote about the 13 recessions that we had had up to the time of writing that paper We're either still on number 13 or we're at 14 or 15 now. I don't know how the historians will look back and view these times, but the podcast that I was looking at and something that I really drew drew out was what happened at the crash of 2008, and today they were making comparisons to what happened in 2008, what's happening right now, and how what is happening right now is going to be far worse than 2008. And yet, from 2008 until now, Lily and I got married in 1978. So, we could say these 44 years, the Lord is, has been with us, and we have not lacked anything. Maybe we haven't always had everything that we dreamed or expired, inspired of having, but we have not lacked anything as we trudge through this great wilderness. So key verse, verse 7, we'll come back to it. 1 through 7, it says, Then we turn and journey into the wilderness in the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me. And we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people. And you're about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourself carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. And you shall buy food from them with money that you may eat. You shall also buy water with them from money that you may drink. And so Numbers 20, verses 14 through 21 We learn there, Israel called Edom their brother, and so Jacob and Esau. They were twin brothers, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. From Jacob came Israel, from Esau came the Edomites, and God said, I have given Esau or Edom their land. So you're not even going to take one foothold in that land. You're going to stay on the roadway. You're going to walk through the land. You're going to pay for any food, any water that you drink. But also this is an encouragement to Israel. God said, I have given Edom their possession right here. It's not your possession. It's theirs. But I'm bringing you to your possession So this should have been an encouragement to them. Ultimately, David would put the Edomites under servitude. In 2 Samuel 8.14, we learn that, that he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So ultimately, they would end up serving David. The king of Israel, the king of David and Solomon. But at this time, they were not to touch. Israel was not to touch the land of the Edomites. So Moses encouraged them. God gave the Edomites their possession. God has given you a possession. That's theirs. God's bringing you to yours. But also Moses encouraged them by God's provision over the last 40 years. We've already read verse 7. All the blessings in the work of your hands through the trudging through this great wilderness, these 40 years. God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So God blessed them in a very difficult place in the wilderness. And basically deserts, wilderness. uh, There's only a few people who live in conditions like that. It's hard to live in such conditions. But God made sure that they lacked nothing. In fact, Deuteronomy 29.5 said that even their clothes had not worn out and the sandals have not worn out on their feet. Now, this is for some people who like new shirts and new shoes, to have a 40-year-old shirt, Hey yeah, just as good as the day I got it, 40 years ago. And to have shoes that, you know, yep, these were my dad's. And I I slipped right into them, 40 years old. But God did a special thing for them during the wilderness that they didn't wear out, they didn't look like tramps, they didn't wear out their clothes. God provided for them in miraculous ways. And so he encouraged them by showing them that God already had given provision to the Edomites and God was going to give provision to Israel, a place for them to live. God had already provided for 40 years for Israel. They had lacked nothing. God had blessed the work of their hands. 8 through 22. Then when we passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, Away from the road of the plain and that of Elath and Ez- Ezron, Gebern turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to its descendants of Lot as a possession. And Emim had dwelt there in times past, a people great and numerous, tall as Anakim. and They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Imim. The Hortites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them, destroyed them before them, dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. And so here God continues and said, Encouraging them, like Edom, like the Moabites, God gave them their possession. And even the Moabites, they went up against giants. You're going to go up against giants. But just as God provided for Moab and for Esau, the Edomites, so will he provide for you. So Moab was a descendant of Abraham's nephew, Lot. And... uh After God had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his two daughters were delivered out of that destruction. But they were afraid to go among the people. And the daughters feared that they would never marry because they might be viewed as a a plague among their people because God destroyed the town that they had grown up in there in Sodom. And so they plotted together, got their father drunk, and on two separate occasions... The girls went in to lie with their fathers, became pregnant. Lot's oldest daughter bore him a son that was named Moab. We read about this in Genesis 19, 36 and 37. And then the younger daughter bore a son called Ben Ammi, or the people, the father of the people of Ammon, in Genesis 19, 38. And next we read of the Ammonites. 13 through 23, now arise and cross over to the valley of Zidrid. So we crossed over the valley of Zidrid, and at that time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zidrid. It was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war were, was consumed from the midst of the camp just as the Lord has sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So after 48 years of roaming around the wilderness, that first generation had died off. Verse 16, So it was when all the men of that war finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me and said, This day you are able to cross over Ar, the boundary of Moab, and when you come near the people of Ammon, you do not harass or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. That was also regarded as the land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim, That's a cool name. Hey, look, the Zamzumim are coming. I don't even know if I say that well. And the people as great and numerous, as tall as Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them. They dispossessed them, dwelt in their place, just as he done for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Sire. He will destroy the Horites before them. They dispossessed them, dwelt in their place, even to this day. And the Avim, whom dwelt in the village as far as Gaza and the Kapturim, and also those who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their places. So by mentioning the descendants of Esau and Lot, Moses encouraged Israel that just as God had allowed the descendants of Esau and Lot, uh, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, To dispossess and possess the land, they warred against nations that were greater than them, and twice now mentioning giants, people who were more numerous and taller than they were, something that Israel was about to face themselves. And yet they were victorious. So God said, verse 24 through 37, Rise, take your journey and cross over the river of Arnon. Look, I have given, you in, I have given into your hand Sion, the king of Am, the Amorite, the king of Heshbon. So I read that wrong. Sion, the Amorite, the king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. Now God's saying, the battle's on. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you among the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you. They shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And I sent my messengers from the wilderness of Katamath to Sion, king of Heshbon, with the words of peace saying, let me pass through your land and I will keep strictly to the road. I will neither turn to the right or to the left, nor will you sell You shall sell me food for money that I may eat. And if you give me water for money that I may drink, only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Sire and the Moabites who dwelt in Ar did for me until I cross into the Jordan land, which the Lord your God is giving us. But Sion, the king of Heshmon, would not let you pass through, for the Lord had hardened his heart, hardened his spirit, Made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand, as to this day. And the Lord said to me, "See, I have begun to give Sion and his land over to you; begin to possess it, that you may inherit it." Then Sion and all the people came out against to fight at Jehaz, and the Lord our God delivered him in over to us, so we defeated him, his sons, his people. We all took the cities at that time. We utterly destroyed the men, the women, the little ones of those cities. We left none remaining. We only took the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took from Ariar to the banks of the river of Arnon from the city of the that is in the ravine as far as Gilead. There was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Only did... Only you did not go near the land of the people of Imam, anywhere along the river of Jabbok, in the cities of the mountain, wherever the Lord your God had forbidden us. And so these events are recorded in Numbers chapter 21. They began to possess this land, technically not part of the promised land, but it would become uh, the land that was given to the tribe of Reuben, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh because they requested it, and also the land of Og, the king of Bashan. But we'll have to wait until next week to read about that as we'll get into Deuteronomy chapter 3 next week. Our time is slipping away. It is slipping away. So in this chapter, Moses used the descendants of Esau and Lot to encourage Israel. God had given the descendants of Esau and Lot, the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites, land to possess. They had fought giants. They had fought kingdoms that were larger than theirs, and yet now they possessed the land, the territory. And just as God had done for Esau, the descendants of Esau and Lot, God was going to do for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would possess and conquer the lands and already gave them uh, one part of that through having victory over Sion, king of Heshbon. It's my prayer that chapter 2 would encourage us in God's care and provision over our lives. I'd mentioned about hearing that podcast about the economy that really stinks. And they were saying, and I was clicking with this because he was really talking about the economic cycles. And I took it all the way back to the 1980s because uh, Lily and I were recently married in the you know, early years of our marriage in the early 80s. And uh, it was the longest period in my life that I was unemployed as a brick mason was during that time because uh, the economy went so bad what happened my observation way back then is that the industry went and then a year or two later housing went and then when things began to rebound Housing picked up, and then industry took off again. Now, the reason I put it that way is because as a brick mason, I was working building strip malls, doing all the things that you kind of do in this area, building small factories and stuff that we have around here, and all that work went away. The only thing that was left was building homes, and then the home building went away, and then it was nothing, and then home building started up again, And then we started working on uh, the strip malls, the factories, and then ultimately schools, and things boomed for quite a while. Well, he was, the economy guy, was talking about a similar thing that happened in 2008, and the home market dried up with a bank fiasco that took place because of mortgages back then, but also uh, it took place on the business side of things, And that is happening right now. So we're seeing the business side of things beginning to fail. Banks are holding on to their cash, and it's going to have a repercussion. So things may get bad, but we need to know that God can provide for us. Maybe we don't get all that we'd ever want to have but he can bless the work of our hands. He can bring provision where it seems that there would be none. He can give us victory in the land that the Lord has placed us in and help us to live victorious lives so that we can encourage our children to do the same. We need to remember that the Lord desires best for us even though he may take us through the deserted places at times, when we're in those places, even though it may seem like a deserted, a desert, a deserted place, God will not desert us. He will help us. He will give us victory over the giants in our land. And Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us this evening. And we pray that it would be a blessing to us. You were rehearsing, Lord, in this passage for the second generation of those who are about to take the promised land, encouraging them through Moses at that time. Encourage us, Lord, in the day that we live in. I pray that you would bless the work of our hands and that you would be with us and guide us and help us, Lord, to be men and women who are willing to, to train up that next generation and to live righteously before the next generation, to set good examples, especially to our own children, but to others as well. Our world needs such examples today. Pray, Lord, for the days ahead of us. It seems that hard times are coming, but we, to this day, serve a great God and we put our trust in You In the name of Jesus, amen. And I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.